powerful. How many of y'all following uh, Ukraine on the news? What's been going on there? I, I check in uh, once or twice a day. To I got a couple of guys uh, that I follow in Ukraine, and um, it's just been uh, amazing to see the support of the world coming together. And uh, I really believe that um, you know the Lord uses even what the enemy meant for evil. Amen. And He uses conflict, and and He allows us in our weakness to find Him. And so we're just praying that, you know, Ukraine has all the resources they need, um, you know, to end this war, but also that the gospel will spread across that nation. It's a predominantly secular country, so um, I just see it as a great opportunity. Um, Well, let me pray, and then we'll jump in here. We're talking about kingdom uh, character this month, and um, something we want to grab a hold of. Father, this morning, uh, we honor your presence Jesus, we honor what um, what you've done. Um, as Christy was saying earlier, uh, that you're the same you were and you are. Um, so we honor what you've done and we honor what you're doing and we honor what you're going to do. Um, we recognize that um, you're the one with the story in history um, that we get to um, engage and be a part of. Um, you're the one that put all this together. You're the one that um, that created us, that knit us together in our mother's wombs, that, that had a plan and a destiny for mankind to um, be made in your image and to look like you, Jesus, and to rule and to reign with you in eternity. And, and we, ask for, uh, we ask for the humility to see the way that Jesus, you saw the Father on the earth, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, But he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And we ask for that type of attitude. And we ask that you would um, just sear our hearts with that spirit of grace and love. That that you would transform um, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see um, other people. That that we would recognize that, um, that our own interests aren't the most important thing in the world. That's not how you see our lives. You don't look at our lives and, and, and say that, uh, you know, Nate's um, desire to get a new vehicle or whatever uh, is more important than, you know, this other person's need to be fed uh, or this other person's need to hear the gospel or this other person's need to, um, to be encouraged. And, and, and we ask that you just help us to see the clarity in that, to, to help us to see the blessing in serving. Uh, Phil said this, I I believe it was last week, Phil said that, you know, Jesus' last act on the earth was, you know, he could choose to do anything, and he chose to wash the disciples' feet. And I ask that we would um, just have a revelation of that same attitude today, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to talk on, (laughs) you know, we're hitting this pretty hard. Uh, It's kind of interesting. It wasn't planned, but... Uh, Phil talked quite a bit about humility last week. I'm going to talk some more on humility this week. Steve just did a three or four week series on his, on humility and wrote a book on humility. <laughs> so we're getting really deep into humility, uh, but it's such a foundation for all character. Like it is just such a foundation. If if you can't see properly, then how are you going to adjust how you live? 
right? And humility has everything, you know, it's humility and pride, right? Those are kind of the two extremes. Humility and pride have everything to do with how we see ourselves and the world. It's our perspective. It's, it, and it's such a powerful perspective because if we, you know, pride is, is just utter blindness, right? It's, it's the blindness of pride. When, when, we're, when we're proud, you know, I, I've got a couple of verses here from Proverbs. You know, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom, right? With humility comes wisdom. Pride comes before the fall because pride can only see what it wants to see. It can only see what it can see. And until there's a shift in heart attitude, that person's unable to see what's true, right? So pride only sees deception, and then humility actually sees truth. You see that distinguishment? And so because of that, humility, Proverbs 22.4, says true humility and the fear of the Lord, and it connects those two, fear of the Lord and true humility, because there's a recognition that fear of the Lord is a real and true thing, right? It's an important part of our lives because he's our creator. And there's, you know, there's a judgment day coming. True humility and fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. So pride leads to disgrace. True humility leads to riches, honor, and life. I want to look back at the original, you know, we, we don't have, yeah, in our scriptures we have like, little glances back into pre-earth history or pre-Adam and Eve history, right? And so I want to look at a couple of these. Uh, one's, one's an Old Testament, one's a New Testament, which is kind of fun. Uh, but we have a paradigm that, that Scripture has, has developed out for us about the fall of Lucifer, right, and, and a third of the stars, as it says in Scripture, but angels that follow Lucifer that rebelled against God, right, um, and, and it seems before uh, Adam and Eve, right, so there was this, this falling out, but I want to look back at the original proud being Lucifer here just for a minute, and there's, there's basically three, three really um, um, agreed upon passages that talk about Lucifer. There's Probably other ones, but um, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and Revelation 12 um, are the three predominant ones. I'm going to look at Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12, just a couple verses. Um, but I just want to build a, a, a scenario for you um, for a minute to describe what was happening and then the audacity of it and then how we tend to be the same way. <laughs> All right. So Isaiah 14 Uh, Verse 12, this is talking about Lucifer. Uh, It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. All right, so notice the high position that he had to start with, right? Uh, he He wasn't in a place where he was being put down all the time. He wasn't in a spot where he didn't have his needs met. He didn't have resources. Um, He had honor in that place. Um, so he was in this high position, but oh, how you've fallen. You've been thrown down to the earth. Notice his current position, the earth. And I just find it so interesting that, you know, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, uh, which was actually the thing that Lucifer wanted, right? He rebelled because he wanted to be God. So God, God takes Adam and Eve, puts them in a garden on the earth where he had already cast Lucifer, Right? So he like takes this 
this world, transforms it, forms it, whatever, does this thing with it. Lucifer's already here, so there was something here. And then he puts a garden in the middle of the world, and he says, oh, hey, Adam and Eve, you're now in charge of the whole world. Oh, yeah, didn't I put Lucifer down there? Now I'm giving Adam and Eve, these new little created beings, dominion over this this, uh, being that was in such a high position in heaven, but I cast him down because of pride. Right? I just, I think it's, it's so uh, audacious. You know, God's like, I am going to, like, put the screws on this guy. Right? Like, I am going to make him really suffer. And I'm going to create these two beings made in my image, the very thing he wanted. And I'm going to put him, them in charge of him. And he has to do what they say. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Of course, Adam and Eve screwed it up, and, and they were deceived. Right? He deceived them because he's the deceiver. And then they, they lost authority, and then Jesus had to gain that back on the cross. But I want to jump down here. So he's thrown down to the earth. You who destroy the, destroy the nations of the world, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Uh, when it's talking about stars here, it's not talking about like physical stars, but it's talking about heavenly beings. So it's saying that, you know, you wanted to ascend to heaven and and set yourself above the heavenly beings. Uh, and this is what he said. I will preside on the mountain of the gods, far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. So notice his destiny, right? So we see the whole story from beginning to end right there of Lucifer's rise, you know, his position, his fall, and then his destiny. All right, jumping over to Revelation 12. So this is, you know, Apostle John on Patmos. He has this um, long vision, right? We call the book of Revelation, 23 chapters. And, and in chapter 12, he, he shares a, a sign or an event that he sees played out in heaven. And um, it's about, it has to do with past and and present, but it has to do with, in, in this little section about Lucifer, I want to pull out a couple verses. And so I'm going to start at verse 3, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit. Um, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. So this was a significant event in heaven, the Lucifer's uh, rebellion. I saw a large red dragon, which is describing Lucifer, with seven heads and ten horns. I'm not going to get into all that. With seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. Right? So this is the you know, the uh, angelic realm, uh, and he threw them to the earth. I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. So we see a third versus two-thirds, right? So we have Michael, the archangel in heaven, fighting against Lucifer, who just rebelled against God with a third of the angels. And the dragon, verse 8, and the dragon lost the battle, and he, is, he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole, the whole world, right? So he's the one that's deceiving the whole world now, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And so we see this battle happening in heaven, right? He's looking, he's looking at this, uh, you know, call it like a movie in heaven. He's seeing like what has happened, and he's watching this video reel in heaven. And, he, and so John's recording what he saw. And so John's getting like some information that he wouldn't have known on his own, right? 
And, you know, he could have pulled a little bit out of uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, but he's seen it here. And the crazy thing to me is that, like, when we think about our lives and we think about people that accept Jesus or don't accept Jesus, we tend to make it a very logical, rational decision not to accept Jesus because, you know, well, they can't see him. And we come up with all these excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, we can't see Jesus, so I could see why someone wouldn't want to believe. And, and, you know, well, there's, you know, we pray and sometimes nothing happens, so I could see why somebody doesn't believe. But we have Lucifer in heaven and a third of the angels, and they can see God on his throne. And the audacity that they thought that they could overtake him, their creator who has, you know, myriads and myriads of servants that rules the universe. And they thought, we could take this guy. And so Lucifer starts this campaign, this campaign. I mean, you know, who knows what it looked like, but a campaign of bringing in followers. Hey, I think we can, you know, I, you know we, I have a better plan. You know, God, he, he does this, he does that, he does that, he does that, but I have a better plan. You know, my plan, you know, I'll put you in a, a position of power like you've never had. If you'll come and, and, you know, join with me in this rebellion. It was the rebellion. This great rebellion. And it's like wide open. Like, they, you know, they're like, okay, I could choose God up on a stone, right? And all of his goodness. And we see his goodness down here. I'm like, how could they not see his goodness up there? And so it begs the question about God's leadership style. Like, what does he withhold from his followers that would cause them to have to trust him even in heaven. Like, think about that. Think about that. I just think it's such an interesting paradigm that we've been given about this. And I think it's very strategic. I think that God's um, requirement of faith is an earthly thing, but it's also a heavenly thing. I don't think that you can be in heaven and not have faith, and then still sustain being in heaven. I, I still think it requires faith. Otherwise, you're going to eventually become a Lucifer, right? There's this just reality of faith. And, and Jesus actually demonstrated the same type of uh, communication when he was on the earth. And I'm getting ahead a little bit of my notes, so I tell you what, I'm going to jump over and hit a couple passages and then come back. I just find this so interesting. I want to look over at John 6. Sorry, Debbie, I'm skipping back and forth on the slides. Uh, John 6. I just find this so interesting. Jesus, uh, actually, when I was in, when I was in college, uh, one of my theology professors, they, they had a term for this uh, because it's such a common thing in, in the New Testament, but they call it the Messianic secret. The Messianic secret. Because Jesus, it was like three years of ministry on the earth, and he wouldn't quite let the disciples fully get what he was saying until, like, right at the very end. And even then, they were still confused. Like, you guys know what I mean? Like, like the disciples followed Jesus, not because they had perfect theology and understood his theology, but because they trusted Jesus, because they saw his works. They heard his words, and they said, you have the words of life. Like, Jesus, I am really having trouble understanding this and understanding that. But you have the words of life, and we have no other well to go to but you. Like, you're the source. And it's supposed to be the same in heaven, right, with the Father. He's the source. And so, anyway, I'm going to give you an example of this in, um, in one of the Gospels here, John chapter 6. So Jesus is talking 
to his disciples. He's not talking to the, to the, he's not in a synagogue talking to, you know, Pharisees or Sadducees. He's not in the temple, right? He's not out uh, talking to the, the 5,000 that he fed. He's talking to his disciples. I just find this so interesting. And this is two years into his ministry, okay? So, like, he's been beating around the bush for two years, right? And not letting them have every little detail and fact about what exactly he's doing. And so I just, I just think this is so interesting, his leadership style. And he says, truly I say to you, uh, the one who believes has eternal life. But he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. So the, the Jews in that time, uh, and still today, are looking ahead to a coming Messiah, right? And they were hoping that it was Jesus, and he was supposed to reestablish the daily manna that, that Moses and the children of Israel had had in the wilderness for 40 years right after the Red Sea crossing. Like you guys tracking with, you know, the, you know the story, Red Sea crossing, the, um, the Lord provides this manna every day they eat it. They complain, they get quail, some of them die, and they go back to manna, right? So for 40 years, they're eating this manna, uh, and it sustained them, but it was just enough for the day. Like the Lord would let it come up on the, in the ground every morning, it'd be just enough for the day, and then on, um, on uh, Friday, they have enough for two days because they had to make it to the Sabbath without harvesting it. So every week for 40 years. This happened. And so um, his disciples who are looking for him as, oh, could this be the Messiah? They're, they're in their mind, their, their eschatology says, okay, there is, when the Messiah comes, which it could be Jesus, he's going to actually make this manna start being provided again for us. And then Jesus, he throws them all off and he says, he says, yeah, yeah, there is a daily manna, but I'm the daily manna. And then they're like, well, see it all. We got like hundreds of years of theology built around this daily manna thing, you know, being the physical bread. Like, what, who are you, what are you talking about, man? You're just totally throwing our, you know, our eschatology out of the whack here. And he says, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, and that is an interesting thing, because their, their idea of the Messiah coming was that it was still in a realm where people would die, but it would just be that Israel was blessed and in a prosperous place. They live long lives and not be sick. But he's like, no, no, no. There's, a, there's actually a, a dynamic of the, of the Messiah and the kingdom that you don't know about. And I'm actually the manna and you don't die in this kingdom. Like, wow. So he says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats of me may, will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread... And this is where it starts getting a little weird on us. Right? The disciples start having some trouble here. This bread, he says, is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. You know, of course, he's talking about his body dying on the cross, right? But in their minds, he's like, he wants us to eat like his arm. Like, you know, I don't think this whole cannibalism thing is going to fly, Jesus. You know, what's going on here? And it says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says to them, verily, verily, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he like takes it a step further, right? They're like, they're like, Jesus, this is weird, okay? I wanted to pull you aside, have a little side convo, like eating this flesh thing, like, I'm pretty sure that's not going to fly. And then he's like, and you got to drink my blood, 
You know, and they're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? And he says, and he, and he says this, unless, unless you do, you have no life, right? You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, right? Which is like a, a phrase that talks about um, the day of judgment, and it's the <clears throat> kingdom of God, right? So they're th- in their mind, they're trying to connect all this. And then he goes on to say, here we go. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever eats, feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the, it's in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? This is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Can you hear Lucifer in heaven? This is a hard leadership style. This is hard what you're saying, Lord. You want me to humble myself to this angel here that's lower than I am? You want me to give something that's mine to this being over here who is less than me? Right? God's leadership style This is hard to understand, and who can accept it, right? There's something about the way that that the Father leads that causes pride to rise up and rebel. And Jesus' disciples, these particular ones that that left, it says that aware that his disciples were were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And then this is what he said. He he goes on a little bit farther, like, like, He's like the flesh thing, and then he's like, and the blood, and then he takes it, he goes, like, he just keeps up in the ante, right? They're like, they're like, no, and then they're like, no, 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 and then he's like, oh, yeah? Like, let me tell you. And he says, he says, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where I was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit and of life. Yet there are some who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from this time on, many of his disciples, there were two years into his ministry, right? Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I've I've wondered often uh, how many of the 120, you know, he sent out the 72 and he had the 120. I just wonder how many of those were the disciples that left him, right? And he was teaching. Like the 12 decided to stay, and it says that here in the passage. But because he turns to them and asks them, like, are you going to go as well? And they're like, where are we going to go? Like, you're the, you're the guy that's got the words alive. Where are we going to go? But I wonder, I wonder if um, after his burial and resurrection, when they started recognizing what he was actually meant, that they came back later, and then those were part of the 120 in the upper room. Like some of these very ones that rebelled. I've always wondered that. I don't know. It's just speculation. But I think it would be kind of cool, like, if there was some redemption in that, you know. So, anyways, we have this leadership style that Jesus displays throughout his ministry that forces his disciples to trust him instead of just seeing and believing Right? Like there was seeing and there was believing, but then there was this trust aspect where he was like, look guys, you don't understand what I'm trying to do and I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do, but you have to trust me in this. 
right? You have to actually follow me because your agenda is actually not my agenda. And many, many, many times in Scripture, you'll see Jesus rebuking his disciples several times when they're, when they're trying to teach something or do something that disagrees with Jesus' agenda. But he hadn't fully described his agenda to them. He's just saying, hey, that's not it. Follow me. And, and what I found in life, uh, the place of greatest struggle in, our, in my life, in our lives, I'm sure, but in mine I know, is whenever I've struggled trusting the Lord because I had an agenda and then it, it didn't come about as I expected and then that caused hopelessness or frustration which, which then just really was an exposure of pride because I thought that my plan was better than his plan. And instead of following him step in step, right? Phil talked about that walking in the spirit thing yesterday or last week, right? Step in step with the spirit is the, is the foundation for character, right? Walking in the spirit. Because I wasn't following him and instead thought I had a good idea that he would like, right? Then I get off track and... And then get frustrated, and then I have to find my way back. You know, it's like that Holy Spirit GPS that's like reroute, you know, back over to following the Lord. And so whenever we get out of sequence with trust, we end up falling into this deception of pride, not even recognizing that we're blind to where we should be, even though we're living over here. And I, I think it plays out, and it's, it plays out in so many ways, but one of the really obvious ones is in our prayer life. Right? It's like such an obvious one. Jesus modeled, not my will, but yours, right, to the Father. I mean, he's like literally the last thing he prays before he dies, right? Like, well, I said, but right before he goes to the cross, before he goes to the cross experience, he's like, Father, you know, you know, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done, right? But oftentimes, the majority of my life is, Lord, I really want to try this out, or I really want to do this, instead of, Lord, what do you want me to do in this moment? And the difference between Jesus' life and where we live our lives is his prayer life. It, it's, it's, not that, it's not that Jesus even knew exactly everything the Father was going to do either. Like, let that sink in for a second. We have several scriptures about that. Several. I didn't write them down, but there's several. Right? The disciples asked Jesus in, the, I think it was John, uh, what is it, 10? What is it, 10, Ray? Where he says... Um, you know, well, wait, are, okay, are you going to establish the kingdom now? He's like, look, that's up to the Father, right? The Father knows the days and the hours. I don't, it's not up to the Son of Man to make that decision, right? Is that John 10 or is it 15? I can't remember. It's, it's right in there. It's right in there. It's that little path, 10 through 17. But he's like, it's, it's not up to the Son of Man to decide. I don't know the hour and the day when he's like, okay, it's time for you to return. He's like, the, the son doesn't even know everything, right? He is God, right? He's the son of God. He has the essence of God, right? Colossians, uh, Colossians uh, 2 says he's the exact representation of the father, right? If you, Jesus said, if you've seen the son of man, you've seen the father, right? There's this, there's this um, position, this super high position in the kingdom, right, where Jesus gets to rule with a rod of iron, the nations, Right? And yet, he doesn't even know everything that the Father plans to do exactly. That leadership style rubs pride in the wrong way. Lucifer couldn't handle it. And then in our lives, 
It's exposed when we can't handle it by the way that we pray. Like you just boil it down. If we're not asking him what he wants to do, if we're not praying that, and Jesus gives us this great, you know, kingdom prayer, right? This great, you know, the, they call the Lord's prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. You know, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Like if we're not asking him what his will is, if we're not saying, God, we want your agenda fulfilled, not my agenda. Your will, not my will. If we're not, if we're not communicating that way with the Father, then it's because we think that our plan is the best plan. And that's blindness. And then that causes us to fail. And then we get frustrated. We get burned out. We get exhausted. I, I remember when Heidi Baker was here um, several years ago before COVID. <laughs> Seems like decades ago before COVID. My gosh. But when she was here, she said, you know, she, she'd increased her prayer time um, to like six, eight hours a day because she was busier. And I was just like, you're busier so you're praying more hours a day. Like, that is the opposite of my rational brain's way to think. Of. I'm like, i got to get more done. My task-oriented mind says, i got to get more done. And Heidi was saying, I've got to pray more so that I'm hearing what he wants to do. And he can do what he wants to do. We've got to lay our lives down. It's a powerful truth. So if we want to grow in kingdom character... We have to grow in our ability to lay down our lives in humility, which means that we have to see the way that Jesus saw the Father, which is not the way that the enemy saw the Father. Right? It wasn't that if Lucifer had been happy with his position and God hadn't asked him to do something he didn't want to do, he would have never left that position. But the pride in his heart wouldn't allow him to stay there because he thought he could do it better. Anybody ever, like, been in that spot where somebody was doing something and you were like, yeah, 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 could be better, you know. Anybody ever listened to somebody teaching online and you're like, oh, it could be a little better, you know. I could probably do that a little, you know. And then you get up on stage and you share and then you're like, oh, <laughs> that really stung. You know, I remember I was speaking at a teen challenge one time, and it, it was, oh, man, I was like, this teen challenge, like, I'm going to go in there with, like, some Todd White fire, you know, like, Ugh! you know, and then I got in there, and they were just, like, dead. You know, I'd watched all these Todd White videos, like, that was good, Todd, that was pretty good, you know, I could probably say that a little clearer, you know. You know, you get in there, and then it's like, oh, okay, man, I wish I had Todd White right now, because... I really stink at this. Like, Lucifer's like, I got this. And then God's like, no. You didn't actually realize that love is what holds the universe together. And if the very top being in the universe isn't loving, then how in the world is the universe not going to just break into chaos? Right? We watch all these uh, movies, all, you know, all, these, all these Avenger movies out there now. You know, and it's always like, it's always like the bigger, badder person. Like, there's always like somebody bad and they beat them and then there's like, they have to take it to the next level and then the next level. I'm like, when does it end? Like, how many multiverses can we get into, Paul? You know, I don't know. Like, we, we went from like the universe and now we're in the multiverse. It's like, it's crazy. Just, I'm like, come on, guys. I had to stop watching. Um, I watched like the first couple X-Men, which, you know, they're probably a little violent, but, you know, I like action movies. So I'm just being honest. But anyways, 
I was I I I watched the first couple, and then it got into all this like like uh, time travel and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't get my head around all this. I just need a simple, like, you know, villain, good guys, they struggle. Like, this simple, basic story, you know. The good guys, you know, they rescue the people that are injured. The bad guy, like, maybe, like, recants at the end. That's, like, the best one, you know. But no, 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 no. Let's throw in time travel and multiverses and, you know, it's just all weird stuff. But all of those movies, they always have, like, somebody, that, not always, but usually they have, like, somebody that's actually not good in the top position, and that creates chaos all the way down through the system, right? And we see it in our world today. You look at political leaders, you get one corrupt person in a, in a spot. It doesn't matter if it's a, a president or if it's a, you know, a city council member or if it's, like, a, you know, a, a teacher or something. It could be anybody. It could be, like, almost anybody, you know, anybody that's above anybody else. If you have corruption in that place, which we all live in, right, we're all being sanctified that are believers, and then you have the world, which is not. And so we all have areas that we struggle in. But if you have, like, a high level of corruption somewhere, it filtrates down. And so could you imagine having a a leader like Lucifer take over the whole universe who all he ever wanted was to be, you know, completely served by everybody else? Like, what a miserable universe to live in. But the Father doesn't do it that way. He actually demonstrated his nature through Jesus by serving everyone. It's just a completely, it's an upside-down kingdom. That's why, that's why we say it's an upside-down kingdom. So it, it can be a beautiful place. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be a, a beautiful uh, eternity to have with that type of a father, you know. It's good. All right, so jumping now, I'm going to shift gears over to, uh, I want to look at Luke 18. This is... Now we're shifting into uh, um, a little bit more about how we see ourselves and how we see our justification, how we, how we see our walk with the Lord. I think a lot of times we try to impress God instead of humble ourselves before God. And because we try to impress God, uh, we try to impress others and we try to impress ourselves. Right, when all he's looking for is a heart that's malleable, right? A heart that says, yeah, I got some areas I can work on. And Luke 18, he uh, lays out this little parable, which I think is great. It's always encouraging when, you know, you hear the Lord affirm somebody and you're like, oh, that's me. I think it's awesome. Uh, To some who trusted in their own righteousness, (laughs) I love this, (laughs) Uh, you know, Luke wasn't pulling any punches when he narrated the, uh, <laughs> the title for this. <laughs> to some who trusted in their own righteousness and viewed others with contempt. He also told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, you know, you can just see this guy. God, he shakes his head a little bit. I thank you. I'm not like these other men, Mm-mm-mm. swindlers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I can see him pointing, like that tax collector over there. Because Jews hated tax collectors, right? And Pharisees, like anybody else, hated tax collectors because they were always taking their money right, to the Romans. Like that tax collector over there, you know, a little scowl in his voice. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I acquire. Those are good things. But the tax collector stood at a distance, unwilling even to lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast 
And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man, this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified. That means that he went home righteous before God. And he went home and God looked at him and said, debt paid in full. God looked at the Pharisee and said, I'm going to let you go on and hang out with that guy named Lucifer that I already kicked out of heaven. Because that's exactly how he acted. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So literally the foundation of our legal standing before God is built on either the humbling of ourselves before him or the pride that we walk in front of him. Right, do you see that? And it's, so it's a really big deal. You know, Hebrews 10, it says that the just shall live by faith. Uh, and, and in that word faith, uh, the, the, the Hebraic uh, definition of the word faith is actually closer to the word trust than it is to the word believe. I just want you to get that. Like we use the word belief and, trust, or belief and faith kind of in tandem. Like, you know, I believe in the Bible, but do you trust the Lord, right? Like, I believe what the Bible says, but do you trust that that promise is for you, right? And so it's, there's a little, little nuance there uh, where the walk of faith is actually a walk of trust. It's not just what I can recite, but it's actually a relationship where I submit, right? It's just a nuance, but if you don't catch that nuance, uh, then you'll read all of these faith verses with like a works mentality, and then you're back in that pride boat, <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is if you're, if you're reading it with a works mentality, then every time you overcome and you did it with your faith, then you do a little, little self-pat. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ooh, I just saw that person healed because I prayed in faith. Oh, I just saw those finances released in my life because I believed God and I was faithful to sow. Right? Reap what I sow. Reap, reap what I sow. Reap what I sow. And we get in this place where where we're utilizing faith as a tool instead of using trust for a relationship. Like God wants to heal that person in front of you, but he doesn't want you to focus on you while you're doing it. God wants you to walk in provision and have abundance and blessing, but he doesn't want you to focus on what you have in your bank account because on that day when you don't have anything, he wants you to still trust him and not be in a crisis. Right? Because his path for our life is not quite so clean cut as we'd like it to be. Like, I would like to make steady, perfectly linear steps towards exactly what I want to see in my life, right? Like, I want to I wanna go to Africa and I don't want to get sick, Phil. I want to have a, you know, I wanna, we have like a 22-hour flight. One, like, is it 22 hours? Is that... It's over 20 hours. One flight, over 20 hours, on one plane, in the air, for 20-something hours. I mean, I've never, I've never, like, I don't even like flying. I'm just like, Lord, I was praying this morning. I was like, Lord, please, please let these flights not be miserable. I just, it's a long time. It's a long. I mean, I've been on 14-hour flights, 15-hour flights. That's a long flight. 20, 20 plus hours. So, anyways, I don't even enjoy flying. So, I'm just like, Lord, I, I'm going to need, like, an aisle seat so I can go potty because I have to pee, like, every hour and a half. That's just, you know, that is just 
the Nate Harris bladder, like, like healthy kidneys. Yeah, I drink lots of water and I pee a lot. I mean, that is, you know, full disclosure. I had kidney stones when I was a kid. And so I had surgery anyways when I was 12 and I had to go in. I actually had to go in and cut out a kidney stone. And so and ever since then, I had to pee a lot more often than I used to. So now you know, now you know, full disclosure. What'd you say, Larry? It's information you really didn't want to know. Exactly. But I want my, but anyway, I want my life to be really linear, right? I want it to be like progress. Like my, my finances increased this year. My finances increased next year. My health increased this year. My health increased next year. My relationships improved this year. My relationship improved next year. Uh, my ministry improved this year. My ministry improved next year. I want to see more money released into ministry. You know, I, I want to I be like more and more and more fruitful. But life has this tendency to, you know, and then sometimes you're going over here. But the crazy thing about it is that if you're, if you're following the Lord and you're trusting him and, and it's known by your prayer life, because you'll know are you talking to him or not, if you're following him, he's actually leading you just like Jesus led the disciples where they're like really good with Jesus one day and then they're like, what the heck is he saying over here? And, and then they're like, okay, okay, we're back on board again, you know. Oh, he fed the 5,000, that's really cool, you know. And, and, you know, then he's over here like rebuking them for calling fire down on the, you know. Oh, we want to call fire down on that city. He's like, you guys are ridiculous. You know, the life is much more a narrow path, Right? Right? The, the way, Jesus said that. The way is broad, and the gate is large that leads to destruction, and many find it. Many find it. Why is it so easy to find? Because we have our own agenda, we plot a straight line, and we're going to grit our teeth, and we're going to get there no matter what it takes. And that's my goal. That's my agenda. That's what I'm going to do. And it leads, and, and we get frustrated, we get bitter, we get downtrodden, we lose hope, we burn relationships. Right? We damage our lives and ourselves, forcing our way to this one place we want to go, and the whole time not recognizing because we're blind, because of our pride, that it's the way of destruction. And Jesus is inviting us on this, this path that's all over the place. But if we'll follow him, it leads to the destiny he has for us. And the whole time he's developing our character through it all. So when we get there, we're not the same person we were when we started. Right? And the disciples walked with Jesus for three years. And then and you look at how, um, how many problems they had in that three years. And then you look at them later in life as apostles, and they're out leading nations to Christ. You know? Like, they couldn't even get their act together. You know? I mean, it was every little thing. They were, like, fighting over who was going to be the greatest. Right? And Peter's like, don't wash my feet, you know? It's like, come on, guys. And yet they're over here leading nations to Christ later on in their lives. It's because they stayed on that, that path of relational trust that led them right to their destiny. Amen. Amen. Well, I am way out of time, so we're going to stop talking about my bladder. <laughs> it's good. Um, can I have the, uh, the uh, proteins come up? I hope this encouraged you this morning. I just, I want to, I want to get to this place where we don't have to hide, right, all of us, right, and we don't have to grit our teeth and, and try to make something happen whenever we just need to seek the Lord, right, like we all have 
hard days and hard weeks, you know. But if we can just find that place of rest in him, of trusting him, we don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? I, I, I remind myself of this daily right now because I'm looking at my finances. I don't have to know how I'm going to pay my bills tomorrow. I just have to know how the Lord is going to take care of it today. And that's all he commands me to do. Now, I can get all worked up about that, right? And then my life is in disarray because my emotions are all, all over the place. Or I can just trust God. And he's always come through, you know? He comes through every time. And, that's, and, and however that works out, that's totally fine. Because I know that he's got my back because he's a good father. So this morning, I, I want to have an invitation. If, if you uh, need prayer, and all of us can grow in this area, right? So I'm not like, if you have any pride in your life, you know, get down here. But, but what I want to say, if you've been struggling with trusting the Lord and you've been stressed about your circumstances, about your life, maybe there's some despair in your life or some hopelessness, there might be a place in your heart where you feel hopeless. Or maybe there's even like a relationship in your life where you feel hopeless and you're like, God, I've just been carrying this relationship and I just, I just can't get past it, right? I want to invite you to come, just, you know, receive prayer for a couple of minutes. Have somebody agree with you that the Lord's good and he's going to see you through as you set your eyes on him. Uh, and then also, if there's anybody here, I just felt like this morning... Um, Sandra had shared for a couple minutes during worship about healing. And I just felt like there were some things that the Lord wanted to heal this morning. So if you've got anything going on in your body, um, specifically, what was that? Sandra, are you in here right now? I don't know if she, there you go. What was the word of knowledge you had on, was it? Yeah, 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 laying hands. So if, if you're sick right now, we just want to lay hands on you. Um, and if that's you, you can raise your hand or you can come down here and get prayer or whatever. Just, just, I just believe the Lord wants to touch some people this morning. So um, let me, if you don't mind, if you are sick, raise your hand. I just want to pray a blessing over you right now, over your body. Yeah, we've got a couple. Yeah, that's right. Got, yeah, five or six or eight or ten. Yeah, so Father, uh, this morning as we close out, um, this time together, um, we thank you for the, oh gosh, the example that Jesus gave us. Um, you perfectly demonstrated how we're to live. And we ask that you would help us to walk in that humility. We ask that you'd help us to walk in that level of closeness, of trust, that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, that we would obey the Holy Spirit. I know that I have failed so many times in the last week even to obey the Holy Spirit. Little little things you ask that I, I'm like, ah, I'm busy right now, or ah, I don't have time for that. Lord, I ask that you would help us to obey, help us to listen and obey um, from a place of humility instead of just living in our own agenda and trying to make our own things happen and beating our head against a wall all the time. And right now for these that raise their hands, um, Father, I ask for a special blessing right now <laughs> for a touch of God right now over their bodies we command infirmity in the name of Jesus to get out of this place uh, and we say I've been I've been saying this infirmity the Lord rebuke you I just love that I just love the Lord rebuking things isn't that great it takes some of the pressure off of me I'm like you know what Lord rebuke you 
So I'm going to let him do that right now for a little while. So the Lord rebuke you, infirmity, in Jesus' name. You get out of here. You have no right in our bodies that are being sanctified. You have no place in that sanctification process. So you just get right on out of here uh, in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, uh, we ask that you would come and strengthen us. That you'd open our eyes to the truth. That you'd open our hearts to the Word of God, the living Word of God that's sharper than any double-edged sword. The living Word that pierces our hearts, that divides soul and spirit, that exposes what needs to change, and that does it in a loving way. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I love you guys. Sorry I went over a few minutes. Um, make sure you don't forget your kids. I also want to just say, we're going to take a few minutes. I'd like to invite Nate and Phil and Jade to come up here on the left side. We're going to pray for them for their trip. Um, so if you feel led to come and uh, just lay hands on them, I'd like to ask um, the elders to come um, and uh, staff. Uh, day spring staff to come and just lay hands on them and let's pray for them let's pray that the holy spirit will be with them in protection and um, just whatever you guys feel led to pray